Hi, and welcome to Hustle and Pro. Thanks for joining us for this episode. I'm your host, Kelly Walker. I'm excited to tell you a cool story today of our guest, John Peterson. His expedition was actually featured on the Discovery Channel's show, The Impossible Row. It told the story of him and his team rowing from Chile to Antarctica in 2019. So let's get started to hear from John. All right. So welcome, John. Thank you so much for joining us today. First of all, tell me where you're, where are you? Hey, Kelly. Uh, yeah, I am in uh, Oakland, California, which is where okay. I live with my yeah, wife and, and two baby girls. Very good. So I mentioned in the intro that we're going to be talking about your expedition that the Discovery Channel dubbed the Impossible Row. Uh, when I learn about this, I hear like 600 miles of treacherous cold seawater, and I can't even like fathom putting myself in that space. So I want to hear from your words. What was this? Uh, and just tell us a little bit about what this row was. The row was, uh, it, it was called The Impossible Row, filmed by Discovery Channel. Um, we rode from Chile in 2019, from Chile to Antarctica uh, in a 27-foot rowboat, uh, fully un un unassisted, unsupported across the Drake Passage. Uh, and Drake Passage is considered one of the most dangerous oceans in the world. Um, it, it has seen waves up to 100 feet. Um, and is essentially the, the part of, of the ocean where the Atlantic meets the Pacific uh, just above Antarctica and just below South America, um, Cape Horn. And it's, it's a really dangerous area of, of water because the shelf uh, that comes up to land about 100 miles offshore rises very quickly. And so you get these hurricane type weather, weather fronts that come in and um, and uh, they, they come really close to shore. And when you have big waves uh, in shallow water, uh, it creates the, the curl effect that you see like in surfing and those waves are really, really dangerous at 40 feet, 50 feet for boats, obviously, because they can flip them over. Um, and we're talking about big boats and we were out there in a little tiny rowboat with no sails and just oars and uh, human power. So um it was it's not something that a lot of people have tried to take on before in fact we we were the first uh, the first team to to try and cross it um with uh just with with human power alone so um it was i will say definitely a scary endeavor to begin with that um i didn't imagine myself being uh in that place um you know when about a year before that um, but there were other people on the team who had crossed oceans. In fact, our captain okay. crossed every ocean in the world. Uh, basically, I want to talk about sort of them. Like his final stretch. Yeah, I, I want to talk about it. them too. But I want to rewind. You mentioned a year before that you never thought that's what you'd be doing. So no. going backwards, though, you're from California, and right. you had a rowing background since when you were, you know, teenager, right, youngish, and then you rowed at Yale. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So tell me then um, just a little bit about like how you get from that and then your background, your professional background isn't, it's not like you were in rowing professionally, right? You were, I'll let you explain to us what your day job was. Um, but I'm yeah. so curious how you get from that to going on this journey. Yeah, I'll, let me start with my greatest story of regret out on the ocean that I think will connect all of this. Um, so you know, imagine this, you're sitting in the middle of the ocean and you look out and there's no horizon because there's these massive waves moving your boat up and down. Uh, you look up and there's clouds covering every inch of blue sky and the wind is picking up to 40, 50 miles an hour. You feel 
34 degree water splashing off the side of the boat and hitting your cheeks like little tiny pinpricks. And, uh, you know, you look down at your body and you feel totally disconnected. You see your arms attached to uh, the oars below you and they're moving back and forth, but you don't feel them. Um, and you start to just completely disassociate from the experience, the real visceral experience that you're, you're sitting in right in that moment. Um, and I remember being in my first massive storm um, with huge waves and feeling like I had made the worst decision of my life because I was like, all right, I'm 300 miles from land. Uh, I might, no you know, the, yeah, exactly. There's no turning back. There's no way of getting off. You just have to be sitting in this thing. And there's waves that were coming over the top of the boat. And we had a, um, we had a satellite phone. Uh, and I was like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to call my wife because maybe this will be the last time I ever talk to her. And so I pick up the phone, I give her a call. And of course, you know, it's, uh, we were rowing in December, which is, is summertime down in the Southern hemisphere. So the, the safest time to cross this very dangerous stretch of ocean. And I'm talking to her and I, you know, I could hear my daughter in the background, uh, you know, asking to play with toys and her just, you know, small talk that you would pick up the phone, you know, hey, how you doing? What's going on? And in my head, I'm like, hey, I might die. This might be the last time we talk to each other. I'm kind of laughing about it now, but I feel a little uncomfortable in my stomach just even thinking about it. And, um, yeah. you know, feeling like this sort of utter regret for being, putting myself in this moment and, and really, you know, putting some core values in contrast where family is a core value of mine. Right. Uh, and at the same time, you know, I, I have ambition. I wanted to test myself and push myself to an extreme. And it's so like those two values came into conflict and yeah. I just felt a ton of regret in that moment um, because I just was putting my family almost in this position yeah. of danger too. And you too, didn't so. know how it was going to end at that point. So at, at that point, I didn't know how it was going to end. None right. of us did. Yeah. Um, and for me, you know, I, I certainly felt that way in that moment. The other guys may have felt a little differently because they'd experienced similar conditions. Uh, but for me, it was sort of sheer terror. So I told you that story mostly because, you know, I, I like to say, you know, don't be a hero, be human. Um, and in that moment, you know, what was the, to me, the number one thing was was going to be getting back home to my wife and my kid. Um, and so, you know, you asked me like you, where you know you wouldn't imagine being there in 2019 um you know a year before that in 2018 almost a year uh before that to to date um i was sitting on the couch you know right after the the christmas holiday reading a story about a, a friend of mine a classmate of mine who had just crossed um antarctica and then literally uh within a couple a day i think i got an email from a, another friend of mine being like, hey, there's this thing that's going to happen. Do you know anybody that, that would be interested? And I was kind of like, hmm, maybe I'd be interested mm -hmm. in doing that. Um, and so then, you know, there it kind of all unfolded, putting in crazy training hours, um, you know, yeah. having a really young child at home. I was probably, I was working out at like, you know, I'd get on the, the stationary bike or the, the, the indoor rower at 9 p.m. and row from 9 to 10 30 at night after she had gone to bed and yeah. would wake up early and, and work out so just trying to make it all work with the family um with regular life you what was your the regular job at the, at the time at the time I was a principal of a school uh elementary principal in in West Oakland and I had about you know 500 450 500 students at the school um that we were responsible for and 
Um, I had been I had been a principal in Washington D.C. a teacher, uh, and so yeah, there was just a ton of responsibility on my plate, and so I always grappled with this sort of selfish sure. self pursuit and and all the responsibilities that I have. Ultimately, I'm really happy I did it. Um, but it definitely, even now I still feel conflicted about, yeah, cause you had to step um, away, you know, right? stepping away from the responsibilities at your school, the responsibilities with your family at home, but to go, it's so it's a, there's a fine line, right. Where how to chase dreams, but also stay grounded in the life that you're building. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So you got the call because you were in a network of rowers already who, I mean, were you rowing at, uh, I, if you rowed in college, you were, you knew high level, but like, were you competitively rowing for as an adult then your whole life? No, um, I, I would say far from it. I, I rode in high school. Uh, I, I rode in, in college and you're in Texas, right? So for me, uh, I, I was a football player and oh. I needed a, I needed a spring sport and oh, I was wow, like, oh, okay. you know, they're like, oh, you're tall. Why don't you go row? And I was like, okay. And in is California, being tall a rowing thing. It's the arm span. It is. You want to so as when you're sitting in a boat, um, leverage really matters. So you know the 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 taller that you are, the more leverage you can put on a whole. Okay, I did not know uh, that outside okay. of the boat. Yeah, a, a, a college rower profile, like in in the elite, you know, top boats, they're probably between six two and six four or six five, and weigh about two hundred to 220 pounds okay um so pretty tall lean people okay this is 600 miles this uh, this excursion or expedition is 600 miles what's the time frame from start to finish of the actual row like yeah the 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 way that we accomplished it so there's a couple things um it's about we i think we went 661 nautical miles okay in all uh between south america and the antarctic um mainland and the peninsula that sticks out there um there was a couple times where storms pushed us backwards 20 nautical miles so we're rowing and then we're sitting in this storm we're literally going backwards and you have Um, to just redo what you just worked (laughs) the ground you just went to make up you now are literally pushed back and you're doubling back oh that's a mental exactly. game right there. Yeah. That's a mental game. Um, the way that we did it is, and the, the, we tried to take the, the safest approach, obviously. Um, in any time you're on the ocean, you know, but it's, there's, it's always a gamble. You, you're sort yeah. of at the, the whim of, of mother nature in that case. Um, the ocean is just such a powerful, a powerful thing. Right. Um, but what we did is we took six people. Um, and so three of us would row in one shift and three of us, the other three would sleep and it was continuous 24 hours a day, nonstop, um, three people rowing, three people sleeping and eating and then shifting every 90 minutes. And the reason we did that is because we wanted our, the bow, the front of the boat constantly pressed into any type of wave that was going to come our way because a dangerous place to be in a wave is broadside where the side of your boat is, um, is sort of against the wave and the wave can then turn you over. So you want the three um, so. people that aren't rowing that where they're sitting is the front that you're saying that's what the wave would hit first. The weight is. Yeah. The front of the, the front of the boat is called the bow. And that's sort of like the nose that points into, into the wave that's coming at you. And so that bow will break the wave and theoretically should go around your vessel, your boat so that you can continue forward. If you go sideways broadside, that's when the wave can, can flip you over. And obviously yeah. Um, you know, so ocean 90 rowing minute is, shifts. 
90 minute shifts. That's uh, a lot of straight rowing. And then you get a whole <laughs> 90 minute break. Like many of us work out for not even 90 minutes a day, right? And then you get a break, you rest and recover for a whole day. And then you go back at it for what, 45 an hour the next day or the next day after that. But you're doing 90 minutes every other 90 minutes. 90 minutes on, 90 minutes off, continuous, 24 hours a day for, it took us 12 days, 12 and a half 12 days. days to get across. Wow. That is, yeah. so no wonder you had to get up and work out and then work out at night. And that probably wasn't even enough. I mean, the training, because I assume in your day job, I mean, as a principal and dad and a husband, you're not, before you knew about this, you're not possibly able to like row and work out enough to be ready, right? No, there's no chance. I mean, it, it so the, as strange as this sounds, well, I'll say this, fitness does matter. It matters being fit when you're about to go. Sure. Um, but after two or three days of no sleep, um, being constantly hungry, um, facing dehydration, you start to, all of your fitness starts to go out the window because then it becomes a mental a mental yeah. game and that's where one of the reasons why i was so interested in taking on this expedition or joining it is because it really and truly was a team effort um when you're asleep um so when, so basically 90 minute shifts so you're rowing for 90 minutes continuously um and then you're essentially sleeping and eating for 90 minutes so right. after a few days of that you get that routine down really well you jump out of your seat you jump into, we had this little bow compartment um, that really was about six and a half feet long. So you're almost in like a coffin. Like a bed, um, yeah. It's, you know, and it and it's cold, right? So that's the tough part of being out on the Drake is not only is it, there are big waves and big weather, but the water is close to freezing. So you're sitting in, on water that's about 36 degrees to, down to almost, you know, 32 degrees um, and it's freezing. And um we quickly learned in those shifts that the only way to stay warm was to be very, very close. And so my partner and I would literally get into the same two sleeping bags. So we like double up the sleeping bag and then, um, you know, huddle right next to each other so that we could stay warm. And yeah. you start to see the impact of this weather on your body where, um, you know, my oh, fingernails yeah. started getting black spots on them from, from, um, from freezing not getting dry um, and warm. Okay. So obviously you, you become close if you weren't already with your teammates. So I want to hear more about the team. Um, before we do that, I want to take a quick break so we can pause and hear from a sponsor and we'll be right back and hear more about this team that you built for your rowing expedition. Player to player matches elite high school athletes with younger aspiring athletes through one hour private lessons, semi-private lessons and camps and clinics. Learn more at player2player.com. That's player, the number two, player.com. Okay, we're back with John Peterson. And so John, so when you get this call and this invite from somebody saying, hey, do you know anybody? And you say, yeah, I might be the, the somebody to get put out there. Did you know all these people on this crew already? Or were you meeting some of them for the first time when you guys set out to do this? Um, I knew one person. And then the other, the other four, I didn't know. So we were, we were coming from, um, you know, four different countries. Uh, uh, Fionn, Paul, the captain of the boat, uh, is from Iceland. Um, Jamie, Jamie was from Scotland, Cameron, South African. Uh, and then there was Andrew who I didn't know who asked me originally, uh, Andrew is from North Dakota. 
Um, and we had rode together in college. So that's how we knew each ah, other. That's um, cool. What a cool group from all over, right? To join together to try to tackle this. But that's also really yeah. hard to put your trust in all of the safety things you mentioned and the, the stepping away from all your commitments in a group of, of men that you really don't, I don't know, don't know. And well, you know, that's a leap of faith right there to just step out and go with these guys. And then you probably have to quickly assimilate to them and their personalities. And how do you balance all that when you're literally out at sea? It sort of became this thing where we started out not knowing each other and ended a band of brothers. Yeah. Um, I, ultimately, because we, we went through this almost death, death facing experience together. And I think those kinds of things bring people together very quickly. Um, sure. I like to say va values make the leader, trust makes the team. And so we talked a lot about trust. Um, and, you know, I think trust is, is ultimately the currency of relationships and, um, and relationships are the foundations of teams. And so we talked a lot about um, agreements, you know, what, what agreements would we have uh, out on the water? I'll tell you one harrowing one was we decided that we were going to wear uh, a six, uh, sorry, a three foot safety line instead of a six foot safety line. Um, because if we flipped over, we all it would be better to drown in the water as opposed to being strangled by a six foot line. So the three oh. foot line felt like a safer oh. bet um, in that situation. That's sort of an extreme example of yeah. an agreement. But, um, but you know, yeah. To, yeah, I mean, you know, we talk, you talk about all these things, like how, how do you actually potentially want to die um, is, is, is part of that. I think we also, you know, touched on wow. things that were most important to us. And, and I was the only person on the boat with a, with a daughter at the time. Oh, gosh. Um, and so I shared with them how important it was to me to, to, to get home and what that meant and why um, safety was going to be the number one thing that was, I was always going to be talking about safety uh, with them and, and getting through it. And so we leaned on each other, um, you know, in some of the most challenging moments. And I think that it's the reason we made it across wasn't because we had the strongest guy in the world, uh, the most experienced person, although we did have some strong guys and some, some great experience. Yeah. Um, it you, really you was. To, right? you do and it was really about how can we come together as a group support each other through hurricanes and 30-foot waves and um and make it out to the other side um you know together as one team and so that's really how we had sort of like the disney-like story at the end where we did make it and there were penguins jumping in the water and beautiful <laughs> whales you know breaching yeah out happily of this, it all know, happily amazing. ever after yeah so um, but you, there were plenty of moments where it couldn't have been that. Yeah, sure. when you talked about it going from the physical preparedness and fitness to the mental tough part where you're kind of broken down and you just have to decide that you're going to get through it. Um, do you each motivate each other constantly all the time and you're more worried about like, are you worried about yourself more or making sure that the, the guy in front of you and behind you are still in it mentally and can keep chugging away? there's two aspects to this. I think there's the, yeah, the personal, you know, grit of being able to make it through on your own, but then leaning on each other when you're at your lowest moments. And, um, and so from a personal standpoint, you know, it, it really is like this idea that you take care of the little things and the big ones take care of themselves. We all brought things on the boat that we thought we needed, you know, backpacks full of stuff. And ultimately I ended up needing like a checklist of 12 things to survive each day. Um, and that list went from 50 down to 12. And yeah. 
once that routine was established mentally, um, things got easier because it's like, this is my checklist of things I need to do each shift. And so then it just became a game of, of let me check off these items. And once I've checked off these items, I've accomplished what I needed in this 90 minutes. So now this 90 minutes is done and I'm gonna move on to the next thing. I'm gonna go back to my checklist and make sure they're all taken care of. And so yeah. it became a moment that, and I think that the lesson from there is a lot of times in our lives, we have so much, so many different demands and so many different things that we need to focus on. And if we can For push sure. away the things that sort of distract us or keep us from what's most important in that in case on that boat, you know, making it safely to Antarctica, um, we can really, you know, accomplish something great. So that's, that's cool. what I would say about the individual level. Yeah. I also would think there'd be a natural inclination to withdraw. Like if I'm freezing and cold and mad or whatever, not that you're not, not that you're mad out there, but like, I don't know, frustrated or something and just tired, I might stay isolated and to myself, but I feel like you'd have to verbalize to your, to your crew and your teammates just so that they, you all have to keep talking to yourself, to each other. Right. And um, so that you all know where you are, where you stand and to just give each other like, of camaraderie and feedback constantly you can't block yourself off i bet out there definitely not and and i'll tell you two quick two quick stories of examples of this that happened uh, to me one of them was uh i was we were rowing in the middle of the night um i had started to feel seasick and we were about seven days in usually your body adjusts after a few days um but in this moment i just i was not feeling good um and we wore this patch on the back of our ear called a scopolamine patch um, and it's, it basically is a medicated patch to help, help you through seasickness. Okay. Um, well, mine had fallen off and I hadn't realized it. And so uh. I did a shift. I didn't feel good. I went in, I ate some food and I was like, I don't think I can eat very much, Andrew. And he's like, you got to eat something. So I, you know, I tried to eat it. I go back out and then I start throwing up over the side of the boat. I threw up once, keep throwing, throw up again. And at that moment, one of my teammates, Colin, he opens up the door and he said, hey, man, you all right? Do you need help? Um, and to me, you know, it doesn't sound like a huge act, but when you're seven days in, having rode continuously 24 hours a day, you're exhausted. It's your time to sleep. And you've got a teammate who obviously is in distress and you're taking some time from your sleeping or your eating. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that your so they, own checklist that I was talking about right. before to take care of somebody else. Yeah, they're deviating deal. from their regiment yeah so he got out of the you know got out and we were in a storm of course uh got out of the you know, the, the bow hold went to get a pack the emergency pack got me a scopolamine patch um and you know i was able to keep going and so like that was a small moment where i remember it really you know distinctly because of not only did he pause from his routine but he took the time to get me what I needed so that I could keep going yeah. um, was huge. Yeah. So I think it's, it's like, how do you take care of each other really matters. Um, and, right. and that also goes back into that idea of trust. Um, and then the other piece on it was just mindset. Um, I remember being in a really big storm. We were to give you a sense of how big the storm was when we were moving with the wind without wind and sort of, you know, you want to call it flat conditions. Uh, we're moving at four knots, um, okay. which is like three miles an hour. With the wind and the waves, we we're going 18 to 22 knots on waves, surfing down these things. And you could hear 
at the bottom of each wave, the whole boat would vibrate and you just hum at the bottom of the waves. And, um, you know, I was scared. I was totally just terrified of getting back out yeah. there because you see the waves crash over the side of the boat um, and it's dark. And I remember going out um, and saying, Andrew, like, I don't know if we can go back out there. And he's like, we have to go back out there. Um, the other guys are counting on us. Says, You're right. We're going back out. I open up the door and here comes Jamie, the Scottish guy, looking at us, big smile on his face going, this is awesome. <laughs> In my head, I was like, the hell am I right now? Like, yeah. This is crazy. You know? Like you're and, in there thinking like, it's, it's torture. It's, it's the worst. And he's like enjoying it. Found it. He flipped it in his mind to find a way to make it like tolerable. Exactly. Yeah. Enjoyable. Exactly. And, and then so that, that changes you know, your, right. Did that then change your mindset? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, instead of going out and surviving waves, now I'm going out and surfing waves. Riding on uh, that. And so it, it, you're, yeah, so cool. exactly. Like, so your teammates can impact, um, impact you in your lowest moment and also impact your mindset and how you might feel about something. I fully believe that. I have a, a little 40 tattoo I got when I was 40 that uh, is just means positivity because I really do believe that your positivity and your everyday life really affects people affects not only you but affects the people around you how you respond to things and just how you talk to people and strangers and friends and everybody um it really does change people's mindset sometimes okay i want to learn about you started a um uh, you founded a startup that focuses on team building and a couple other things so tell me what that is and why you started that yeah, I shared a little earlier my my journey. I guess professional journey started as an educator. Sure. Um, and right out of, right out of college, um, I went straight into teaching and taught um, in in Washington D.C. Um, in some of the most under resourced neighborhoods in the country. Um, and I really loved teaching. And so from there, um, I I was a teacher and taught a whole bunch of different grade levels. Um, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh grade. And then um, I got into uh, working with the district. And then from there also then was like, I really want to be a school leader um, and went through training to become a principal. So I was a principal in Washington, D.C. Um, and also out here in, in California, where I live now in Oakland, where I grew up. And um, and about two years ago, I mean, we all experienced the pandemic, which is some some of the most challenging times for uh, for many, many people, yeah. and being a, a school leader, a principal in the pandemic was had its own set of challenges that were just really, really, really hard. And I was I was a part of a school that I really loved, um, and I had a really fantastic team. And one of the the vice principals I had, he was ready to lead, and um, so made the decision to step aside and let him um, continue on the legacy that we had started at the school in West Oakland. Um, but it really meant for me, well, what it, you know. What, JP, what you going to do now? Um, so I, I I ended up deciding to to start my own company, um, which is really focused on team building um, and developing leaders. And so now I work with I still work with schools. I work with schools in um, in Richmond, California, Vallejo, California, uh, San Francisco, California, and then um, I also work in in other industries um, in, in the private sector, construction companies, working with. Um, working with leaders who are on the ground doing the work, uh, your foremen, superintendents, um, your vice principals, principals, um, and really helping them develop solid strategies for 
um, developing their own value systems. And okay, I was going to say, trust, is it for trust on the, teams. their style and their like core values and how to motivate and keep teams tight and all aiming towards the same, ultimately like rowing together? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a great way to summarize it. It's like I said before, values make the leader, trust makes the team. So we we spend it. You know, that's you can't cool. separate the leader. You can't separate the leader from the team, or the team from the leader. Uh, they're both connected, and so um, we work on. I work on both things: um, building and talking about your own individual values and who you are as a leader, but then also thinking about the team. And ultimately, what I think is the foundation of a team, which is trust and mm -hmm. ways in which you can um, establish trust with your team and build systems behind it that make people feel good about doing what they're doing. Yeah, because it's um, not automatic, it, right? Like, I don't think we're all naturally just willing to trust everybody that, especially like, it's telling us what to do. <laughs> we all have to earn the trust and build it. And it takes a little bit of time. And, it, you know, the smallest things can make that waiver. So that's a, a very key, a really important key part of it. Tell us what it's called. I know, I think you said this already, but I'll put it on the show notes and on the screen. So tell us what it's called again and how people could yeah. find out about you. Yeah, my uh, the company name is Threshold Rising. Threshold Rising. Um, yeah, I call it Threshold. And uh, the website is thresholdrising.com, which people can go to and see some of the offerings I have there. Um, and then I also have, uh, Instagram, um, John R. Peterson, where I, I post some of the trips that I, that I do. And obviously I did the row. I've, I biked from, um, Oakland to Chicago last summer. Oh, uh, so just, I always, I always try to have a, you know, uh, an endurance challenge. Out yeah. there, although, um, maybe not as, 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 as extreme now that I have two little girls. Right. Um, you can't go. But, yeah. That's, that's not something you're going to try to beat or top. I hope <laughs> that's pretty, that's yeah. pretty up there is, is threshold rising a rowing term? No, you know, the word threshold came from, um, just really one of my core beliefs as a, as a principal and school leader to ensure that kids feel like they belong when they come to school. Okay. And so one of the things that I would always do is stand, um, at the threshold of, the school like the school door oh yeah and okay. say say good morning to every single person that walked in the building and then That's say great. goodbye in the afternoon as everybody left and um you just learn so much at the threshold you know who's who's doing that. good and, and who's not and um you know I wanted I wanted to ensure that each person that stepped into our building felt like they were getting you know the handshake and the eye uh, eye contact and the smile and the That's welcome really awesome um, yeah so that's where the name threshold came from. Here I was thinking it was like the boat and the wave and the some <laughs> line or some like term that, you know, was important to your rowing expedition, but that's even better. I love it. The threshold bit. That's great. Very cool. Well, it was really nice talking to you and hearing your story. I'm going to link to um, the Discovery Channel episodes and things like that so that people can learn more if they want to see it. And um follow you online on, on Instagram, but I appreciate you taking the time and zooming with me from California. Yeah. Thanks so much, Kelly. Appreciate having me on. Hey everybody. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of hustle and pro make sure you subscribe on YouTube. And so you can get notifications when new episodes drop and go ahead and follow us on Instagram at hustle underscore and underscore pro to see what we've got going on. So thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.